It's time for pumpkin flavors and new fall favorites at Dunkin'. And also some tough decisions. Like, do I want a signature pumpkin spice ice latte? A brand new oat milk latte? A new chai latte? Or a pumpkin iced coffee? Oh, and the bakery. Do I want a pumpkin donut or... Uh, there are other people behind you in this drive-thru. Oh, uh, I'll just take it all. Okay. It's all the cozy you crave at Dunkin'. Pumpkin favorites and new fall additions. Like new creamy without the dairy oat milk lattes and the signature pumpkin spice ice latte plus more. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. What's up? This is Lenny Harrow. Man, Dave Hollister. Teddy Riley. What up, world? It's Jay Style. Ladies and gentlemen, Black Street. Migos in the building. We are Migos. Whoa, Migos, huh? Yeah. This is your version. We are 87.1 Caroline Radio. You are listening to 87.1 Caroline Radio. KCGN Bakersfield, your home for all your variety talk, just like Aaron's opinion. Welcome back, listener. How are you? My name is Aaron Richmond, and this is the Aaron's Opinion Podcast. Streamed wherever you get your podcast or right here on Caroline Radio. Welcome back. Tonight we have a very interesting guest. We have Danielle Main, uh, the president of Leash of Hope Assistance Dogs. Welcome to Caroline Radio and Aaron's Opinion. How are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am doing quite well. Very good. So uh, I would like you to tell our, tell our viewers and listeners, most of whom are blind like me, uh, tell us about what you do for Leash of Hope Assistance Dogs. By the way, um, I am somewhere in the world in an undisclosed location, but I have never heard of Leash of Hope Assistance Dogs. Oh. Um, I, I do have, by the way, a retired guide dog from Guiding Eyes for the Blind. Um, and she is very, very, very old now, and she's at the end of her lifetime. Uh, it's a bit of a long story, but she's very old, so she, she's still wonderful, even though she's very old. Um, but tell us all about this organization, um, apart from the name, and I know generally what city it's in. I, I have not heard of it, so tell our listeners all about it, if you would like. Go right ahead. I would be happy to. And um, so our, uh, this organization is a small one. It's something that I founded with a colleague of mine uh, about five years ago. Um, and so we're from Vancouver, BC, Canada. And um, as we do this podcast, I, you know, due to the, the pandemic, um, I'm at home. I'm not in my normal office. And so I apologize first off if there is any uh, activity or dog noise in the background, anything of that nature. No um, problem. No problem because of the uh, unusual circumstances. So, um, yeah, so the organization is, uh, was founded by two people with disabilities. My other founder, uh, Tessa Schmidt, has cerebral palsy and is in a power wheelchair. Um, and I am partially sighted, low vision, um, and have been, I guess, legally blind, low vision my whole life. And no, right, right. Right there, right there. Yeah. You said some. You said something really, really interesting, and I love to talk about this with 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 listeners. So at first, you start out by saying you're you're partially sighted. Then you say you're low vision. Now you're saying you're blind. So, yeah. so I call myself blind. Um, so you know, just to introduce myself to you, I was born with glaucoma. I call myself blind. So. I, I mean, do you call yourself blind or are you, are you sighted? Because it can kind of, I feel that it can be kind of a confusing issue for, for listeners. 
it, to to it totally is a confusing issue, not just for listeners, but I'm sure even like for public. So I tend to use different words because not <clears> everyone <throat> understands vision in the same way. And um, so I say partially sighted, uh, legally blind, because I have a little bit of vision. I can see my best within arm's reach of myself if it's high enough contrast. And then after that, everything becomes quite blurry. I have an optic nerve degenerative disease that I've had my whole life. And I'm also fiercely independent and ambitious and tend to do things that I shouldn't necessarily be doing as someone who is um, low vision. But I find that it's a constant trying to have to explain myself to people. So um, it's unfortunate, but that means that changing the words, language you use to help convey your situations so that different people may understand your situation you know, sometimes helps and opens an opportunity to have a conversation just like this about visual impairments um, and blindness, because it's not as cut and dry as everybody knows as being not necessarily that either you're fully sighted or you're fully blind. There's a big spectrum in there. I see what you're saying. That's all really interesting. Um, For me, I call myself blind simply because I am, but fine. So, um, so you, you, I, I would, I would say, um, well, okay. I, I would, I would, I would say in, in, if I heard your, your response, I would say that you are, I would, I would say that you are probably blind. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, as far as my specialists and any other medical uh, people are concerned, I'm blind. Um, but I'm also uh, wanted to make it clear that I do have a little bit of vision. And for some reason, okay. that's hard for people to understand. Well, what I, well, so it is, it is, you know, and you know how, how I deal with it is I, I, I tell people I'm blind. I can see a little, and then here's how I explain it. I can't see well enough to drive a car. And then once, once they hear that, then that seems to be a tangible uh, thing. But anyway, back to <laughs> this, this organization that, that you set up. So what does the organization do? Uh, tell, us, tell us about it. Right. So um, part of the reason why uh, the situation of our founders is so important is because uh, for us, not only um, is it, I think that it's really great everyone goes oh it's so great that you know you're there's two people with disabilities that are running an organization but i think it's a necessity i think it's really important for public to see people with disabilities and uh in entrepreneurial positions um and going for big goals and being ambitious um and so that's something that i encourage and kind of mentor in people as much as possible and support and within my community um whether that's, you know, within Leash of Hope, our organization, whether that's supporting local artists with disabilities to help with different projects or hiring other people with disabilities, that's a key foundation of this organization that's built by two women with disabilities. And so the organization premise was Leash of Hope Assistance Dogs provides hope at both ends of the leash. We're a very small organization, but the concept was we uh, train mobility dogs, guide dogs, uh, psychiatric assistant dogs. Um, and we take puppies that are from rescue situations. So they aren't bred from breeders. So oftentimes dogs out of shelters, um, maybe they've been donated to us or they're from, they've been rescued from places 
and obviously we assess them and we ensure that we're we're picking appropriate dogs because we are we have a team of professionals but it means that we are providing hope at both ends of that leash because we're saving a life and we're giving someone a lifeline excellent um so what steps did you need to take to open this organization how do you start uh, a basically a service dog uh, school training facility how do, how did you how, how did you go about setting all of this up in the first place it's very interesting it is and it's something that when you go to start an endeavor like this people go oh you're nuts why would you do that or what are you doing like because <laughs> it's such an unusual thing but especially for again two people with disabilities but uh my colleague tessa she has quite an extensive background in service dog training herself she's worked with other programs and my background um was in animal psychology at one point um, when I had uh, more eyesight I was doing learning dog grooming um, and cared for dogs with special behavioral or medical needs and, and um, that was one of my jobs so between her having a very formal education as a dog trainer specifically service dogs um, and me dealing with these I guess intricate cases of I guess dog behavior and um, and medical needs we had quite the skill set. And uh, the biggest thing that I brought to the table more than anything was being business minded and figuring out how to cross her T's and dot her I's so that everything was kind of done properly from the ground up. And Tessa's main role was producing uh, a high standard of, of training in our dogs and our teams. And that's something else that's very different about our programs. We spend a lot of time with our handlers and in doing so, we have handlers that are really well-rounded and don't need support in the long run because they've spent 120 hours with our trainers. Um, so to set this up, for me, there was a lot of you know approaching um, our local government authorities. There was obviously a lot of the... Um, the boring stuff, setting up <laughs> business licensing and things like that. So, and getting a board of directors since we are a, a, a nonprofit as well. And from there, it was just about growing. And we've grown with the intention of becoming an internationally accredited school, which has some pretty big um, hoops to jump through and a lot of red tape. But we've built our organization from the ground up with the intention of, of fulfilling those requirements. And... Um, it, even though it takes a lot of work, it's completely worth it. And it shows in, in the quality of the dogs that we provide. Perfect. So good. So good. So um, tell me about your guide dogs. Uh, all of the dogs you train are equally important, but what's immediately relatable for me are, are guide dogs because I still have one who is retired. So tell us, tell us about um, what, how you, uh, you know, what the trainers go through and then the handlers and tell me about the whole course for them. <laughs> for sure. Now my, my dog, um, I think he thinks he's retired because of the, uh, all the lockdown situation, which he, he doesn't seem too upset about, <laughs> but he's, uh, he's eight at this point. Mm. And he was the original leash of hope dog and is my eyes. And he's very unusual looking and I get lots of comments from public because he was a street straight from Mexico when he was a young puppy. And so he's spotty uh, with uh, and red and uh, not your usual looking guide dog. 
<laughs> and uh, so that's one of the things that's interesting about our program is we do have a variety of different breeds that we use. And from a young age, the dogs are aptitude tested frequently. They go through two years of training. They, uh, it's about 1400 hours of uh, instruction with our um, staff. And after that, they do 120 hours uh, with their client, with a trainer, so that the client has um, a lot of opportunity to uh, have a lot of instruction, a lot of one-on-one -on -one time, uh, so that they feel confident and supported and, and, uh, and not necessarily dropped out of the nest like a baby bird. <laughs> um, and the benefit of that is that you know we do have really well-rounded teams some people definitely prefer the more common uh, setup that other programs have of you go in for two or three weeks and you leave with the dog and if you have problems of course your schools are a phone call away whereas we spend a year kind of easing um the the team into a graduate status uh, and mm. at the end of that doing once a month kind of check-ins to make sure that they're good and it creates a lot of leeway for um uh, and breathing room for our especially newer handlers, newer people who are new to having dogs in public uh, yeah. to make mistakes and to feel okay and don't feel like the pressure's on them. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm already relating to what you're saying because one of the things that is, is a challenge for any guide dog handler in the entire world is the public, the, the strange questions, the silly questions. Totally. Yeah. The constant, the constant, can, can, can I pet your dog? Can I, can I, can I? Yeah. And that that last that last year uh, before my dog Nani needed to retire, it's it's kind of a long story uh, that gets us way off track. Um, <laughs> but but that that last year, some of the last times that she was you know actively working, the can I can I can I I you know I would just you know politely say you know no I'm sorry you know she's working or even I admit even occasionally. If it if it was okay, like like a child who was really curious, if a child wants to ask questions, I would always educate people about it. But it it can be very um, it can be very exhausting and very frustrating for the handler. Who totally, has, it's, yeah. It really, I mean, I I love I just love having I love guide dogs and I support I support blind people all over the world going to reputable organizations like yours um, and like Guiding Eyes for the Blind. Um, but it, it it can be at the, when you have a guide dog for many years, it, that does start to wear you out, the constant issues from, from the public. It completely um, does. And people can get jaded too. And so, and mm -hmm. I think it's hard as handlers for us to remember that like, people aren't always ill-intentioned and even though we're frustrated because we have the dog and for some reason oftentimes the public see the mm -hmm. dog as an in invitation to interact or ask us questions about our personal life or yeah to touch or engage oh, the dog. Without, like, without tell <laughs> and no one no I have never encountered I never encountered anyone um when I had Nani when Nani was working nobody ever tried to hurt us uh, no but if, if anything statistically probably nani kept the bad people away um probably although nani is a girl <laughs> nani so nani for you at home nani is a girl black lab and now she is now she is 13 years old and um and she she has kidney failure oh and, uh, and I'm some, sorry to hear that. 
it's it's all right. So I I, I appreciate the kindness. Yeah, she she's you know she's such a personality. You're you're gonna love this. So um, a couple. How how did it all? How did I? Next question. How do I know she has kidney <laughs> failure? So this with the schedule of everything. Everything is my concept of time has been kind of thrown off. It feels like it was about four or five months ago. Let me let me just put it around the time of the new year, around eh, holidays, new year, Nani stops eating, stops eating all of her dog food. She just, you know, you know, refuses meals for days and days and days. Okay. Three days, you know, one or two days goes by. She's throwing up, vomiting a lot, throwing up, you know, nauseous. Okay. Not getting better. Okay. You know, I, I, I live with my parents and brother. So my parents take us to, to the vet. Okay. You know, vet takes blood. The vet says, well, she's 13 and, you know, this number is not right. This number is not right. And to make a long story short, it says, I'm sorry, Aaron, but your dog, your dog has kidney failure. Um, then the, the vet says, you know, she probably has, you know, two or three weeks to live. This was in December. Nani wow. is still, <laughs> Nani is still running around now. Um, she, uh, because she refuses uh, the, the traditional dog food. We've had to make her some special, special dog food with our own ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky girl. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that's, that's what, that's what my parents and I have decided to do because, you know, it, she's willing to eat it. It, she loves eating it. It makes her happy. It puts a wag in her tail. And, uh, you know, who knows, who knows how much, who knows how much more she has, you know? So it's, um, yeah, there's like cookies you can make a dog that are healthy for them. There's also there's all sorts of. Come to think of it, I should write down the recipe in case a blind person in the future has a retired guide dog with kidney failure that won't eat. There's a, there's a magic recipe for what you for what you can give them. But yeah, yeah. but the, the 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 fact is that when you go to a reputable organization, you have a, a guide dog. The bond is is amazing nani traveled with me all over the world uh england france uh saint lucia in the eastern caribbean uh, poland austria um i've been all over the world with her she's had a very active life um and she has she has a lot of energy she has she has so much energy i don't know where the energy comes from <laughs> i i can relate to that as well because my dog has part uh, red healer in it with a which is a cattle dog and i'm uh, a fairly energetic and busy person so mm -hmm. for my lifestyle but it's amazing how these dogs really become like our lifelines and part of our families and we you end up you know do, kind of doing anything for them and uh and they'll do anything for you because these dogs when they're trained well and they're trained uh, positively and they like their jobs, they really will, you know, go to the ends of the earth for you. Oh yeah. Without, without doubt. You, you said something really interesting. You said that your, your organization trains a wide variety of breeds. So Nani's a Labrador. And when I was at Guiding Eyes uh, about 10, 11 years ago, my class was just Labrador retrievers. Now they also had some shepherds and some golden retrievers, but mostly Labradors. So um, what breeds do you have? <laughs> so uh, this is, we, we, when our organization gets together, we can start, we almost look like the parade of misfits a little bit with our dogs because they're so unusual and they're all so different. And that's because our organization 
temperament tests and works with and looks at the individual dogs and we assess and pick individual dogs from a variety of places with our network of people um which it, it takes a lot of work but uh so does obviously running a breeding program and these breeding programs the way they work is they're um when they're ethically bred they're they're breeding for specific traits and confirmation to make sure that the dogs are, are happy and healthy and all that and so us, we have such a wide variety of breeds and we look for all of the same things and we do all the same testing. Um, but it means that we have anything from, like I said, my cattle dog mix who's spotty and red and funny looking to shepherd mixes. We've got some labs, some golden retrievers. We, uh, most unusual, I would say, we have a Jack Russell and a Basset Hound. Um, and he's 30 pounds and he works with someone in a power wheelchair and the dog can jump up and press buttons and carry things that are two and a half times his size. And he's just a cool little dude, but he's the smallest. And the biggest we have would be a hundred pound, uh, lab cross with a Newfie, uh, uh, who's, she's got spots. Beautiful. Um, yeah. For, for our, for our listeners on, on the other side of the border, um, the full name of that breed is that, is that a Newfoundland? What, what is that breed called? Yeah, it's a Newfoundland. Yeah. Newfoundland. That's just the name of the breed. Newfoundland. Uh, any yeah. It, it, I, that's just, that's the breed. They're from Newfoundland uh, and Labrador. So, um, and it's crossed with a Labrador retriever. Right. Right. Yeah. That sounds like a very, a very large dog. Yeah. Very large dog that really likes water. Yeah. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beautiful. I, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, so what, uh, what has basically been um, your most, ooh, your most unusual, your most unusual client? And it can be someone really anyone, but a really unusual client that you've worked with or a really interesting client that you've worked with. Oh, see, that's hard. Cause for me, like we spend, because we're a small organization, we spend so mm-hmm. much time with these families and these people and we become, our organization has become like a family in its own and it's very tight knit. And I, it's the reason why, um, you know, in this program, I've mostly run by myself, even though we keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and there's still just one of me. And I sit here going, Oh my gosh, how am I going to keep doing this? But it, the, the strides I see and the connections I see with the family or the clients, um, completely warms my heart, fills my heart, makes it all worth it. And the stories that I of people and the different, the variety of walks of life are just incredible. And the neat thing is because we are such a small program and we can work with the individual and almost it's like building the, almost like the custom dog um, because we are so one-on-one it means we have people that have a variety, sometimes a mix of conditions whether that's uh, someone with post-traumatic stress disorder and needs um, a hearing alert dog or someone who's um, uh, mobility challenged and has issue walking and has autism or uh, just as of this year, for the first time ever, we're training a mobility dog and an allergy detection dog. The dog can be sent into a room and and tell the person if the uh, main allergen is there as well as do all of the main wheelchair tasks. Um, And it's all so interesting because lots of times I think these bigger programs, um, 
just because of like the quantity that our, each school has to meet, sometimes we, it, it becomes hard for them to individualize, which is understandable. And sometimes I think it's great for these bigger schools to specialize, like they do really good guide dogs, they do really good mobility dogs. And, um, but the benefit of us having a smaller program is we can go, yes, we can kind of cross train for you. So we end up with some really interesting dogs that way. Really cool. Really, really great. Yeah, when I was at Guiding Eyes 10 years ago, they also had a program. Um, I, I recall they had a program for dogs who, who work with um, children uh, who are autistic. I, I, I recall it. I, I didn't learn much about it, but I remember that our, on our kennel tour, uh, we walked through and we could see some Labradors that were unusually calm and unusually... <laughs> unusually not like Nani because they were able to sit still and not dance around um yeah the the adorable thing that my dog my retired guide dog Nani does is she for some reason she has really long nails and and I do take her to like a groomer to have the nails clipped but she's just her nails are just big and her entertaining thing that she likes to do is she likes to tap her nails really loud on the floor and she does it on <laughs> And she does it like with a rhythm and to j just to like entertain herself. She like dances around. She's telling you to hurry up. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She has a rhythm. She's doing it on purpose because she has a rhythm to it. So, you know, that that's her adorable thing that she do d does. But um, yeah, there was a group of dogs there 10 years ago. I imagine they still probably have the program where they train the dog to work just with uh, children who are autistic to provide a, a calming, um, calming sense, a calming, calming companion. I, I yeah, yeah I it's, and it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting because I think that there's, um, it's common for there to be programs that train dogs, uh, especially for young kids who are flight risks, which is a really important thing. Um, and one of the differences as well with our program, as far as, uh, children with, um, autism or youth with autism, even adults with autism, First off, not a lot of schools uh, will give a dog to a kid that's over a certain age or in their teens. And so we do what we call the independence autism dog. And uh, so some of the training actually is similar in response to uh, the way some of the dogs we train respond to things like PTSD for veterans and that. And so they respond to um, a child who's heightened uh, by providing deep pressure therapy, whether that's leaning or distracting them from whatever that is escalating them or bringing them to a parent or bringing them a specific object. And it creates this constant and this opportunity for these kids to have freedom and independence without things being so overwhelming. And it's so neat to see how far some of these kids go with their lives because of these dogs. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So good, so good. Um, but yeah, back to what I was saying earlier. Do you remember a, obviously you don't need to say their name, but do you remember a particular client that was really interesting or a really fascinating person or a really unusual person that you that you had the pleasure of, of working with? Oh gosh, okay. So that's really hard because I just, there's I have such a special bond with all of the, um, with all of the, the clients and uh, to watch to watch how far people come is huge I think one of the most interesting cases uh, we had was a client who 
needed a dog for post-traumatic stress disorder, severe post-traumatic stress. And they had done a lot of research in trying to find a dog um, and to find a program that would help them and work with them. And, and unfortunately in this day and age, there's lots of people who try to train their own dogs and uh, that's a hard and, to and right, right, right here. Um, I mean, this is, this is my, this is my, po- well, you're, you're, by the way, you're listening to Aaron's opinion. We're com- coming up on a hard <laughs> break. I mean, coming up on a hard break, by the way, we have about two minutes. Um, I'll, I'll let you, you know, I'll, of course I will, I will let you give your opinion, but then I, I, I do have a bit of a, 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 bit of, a bit of an emotion, slightly emotional opinion about this. Um, yeah. What, what, yeah. what do you think about, what is, what is your opinion so, about people who choose to train their own or something I, like that? Honestly, I feel like that should be after the break because I, I have, I have, I definitely have an opinion on myself, but I think the most important to answer your question with this client was mm-hmm. she was really adamant that she didn't want to do it herself because she didn't feel it was appropriate. And you know, we did our assessments. She was waiting for a dog for us. She was living farther away. So she knew she'd have to work harder by coming and traveling back and forth when she was placed with her dog. She also had a really, this picture of what she wanted in her mind of what type of dog she wanted. And partway through the process, she came to one and was worried. She's like, Oh my God, I'm really worried. You guys are going to decline me. Cause I just found out I, you know, I'm quite deaf. Uh, she had like 70% hearing loss. And denied for that. No. Well, except for some of these programs that just train dogs specifically mm. for PTSD or psychiatric response that could become a safety issue, or they might not cross train um, even if it's not a safety concern, depending on the program. So she was called as concerned worried that that was going to be conflictual. We said, no, that's okay. It just means that you might have to wait a bit longer, but we're going to train you a PTSD dog as well as a hearing alert dog. Um, And once we had the right dog for that could do all this, we ended up bringing her a dog that was (laughs) um, not, she wanted a medium sized dog that was between 30 and 50 pounds or medium to small. Ended up bringing her a lab cross with a Rhodesian Ridgeback who is a lovely personality, lovely dog, and really attuned to doing what she needed to do. And she was like, this dog is too big. It's not what I expected. And I said, I said, try her for two weeks. If you don't like her, you can send her back, but I guarantee this is your dog. And um, she almost graduated basically top of her class, of her group, um, scoring the highest on all of her tests and things. And they've been together, I think, for four years now. So that was a really interesting. So so good, so good. Yeah. So ladies and so ladies and gentlemen, you at home, she's Danielle Main. I'm Aaron Richmond. This is Aaron's opinion on eighty-seven point one Caroline Radio, KCGN Bakersfield. Your home for all your variety hits, just like Aaron's opinion. We'll be right back. This is Variety at your house. We are eighty-seven point one Caroline Radio, home for all of your variety hits. It's the Machiavelli Music Group Legacy Tour. Bringing you the legendary Tupac Shakur's Legacy Tour, a city near you. It's thug life in your face. 
The Machiavelli Music Legacy Tour is currently booking venues in Cleveland, Chicago, Atlanta, Detroit, New Orleans, Dallas, Houston, New York, North Carolina, South Carolina, and, and the city, city near you. Contact 2 deep at 337-936-5176. That's 337-936-5176. Or follow them on IG at I'm Too Deep. I-M-T-O-O-D-E-E-P for booking details. This message has been brought to you by Kendrick Lassane, CEO of Machiavelli Music Group and cousin of Tupac Shakur and Too Deep, CEO of Machiavelli Music Group and owner of KFSM Radio, Bloody Rain Productions, and Mixoplex Entertainment Group. Keyboard Cat, Hamilton the Pug, and Toast Meets World. These are some of the Internet's most beloved pets, and they all have one thing in common. Their stories started in a shelter. Start your story. Adopt a dog or cat today. Visit theshelterpetproject.org to find a pet near you. Training that pet to play the keyboard, that's optional. Start a story. Adopt a shelter or rescue pet today. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Okay, what are you wearing right now? Nothing. That's right. So mommy's going to teach you how to dress yourself. Underwear always comes first. Name tag at the back, then pants, then shirt. Get the first button in the right hole or you have to start all over. Socks going first, then shoes right on right, left on left. With shoelaces, just take the ends, cross them over, switch the loops. The rabbit goes down the hole, pull tight, and left with bunny ears. Got it? Why are your pants on your head? Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But two minutes twice a day, making sure they brush their teeth is easier, and it could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. Visit 2min2x.org to find out more. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. How's it going? I'm having a stroke. Are you going to shake my hand? I'm having a stroke. Wow, you're not even moving your arm. I'm having a stroke. When someone is having a stroke, they may not be able to say it with words, but their body language will tell you loud and clear. Look for FAST. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911 immediately. Know the sudden signs. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. The stores are bringing me a baby brother. We can do this. Together. All right, let's go. Storks know how to keep kids safe. Do you? What? Oh, my gosh, you don't know. <gasps> I know. You don't. <laughs> oh, man, you laugh when you're uncomfortable. <laughs> no. Making sure your child is in the right car seat is one of the steps to safer travel. I will rock this. You will rock this. To know for sure that your child is in the right car seat for their age and size, visit safercar.gov slash the right seat. Cool, cool, cool. Very cool, very cool. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is Variety at your house. We are 87.1 Caroline Radio. Home for all of your Variety hits. Welcome back, listener. This is Aaron Richmond, and you are listening to the Aaron's Opinion podcast on Caroline Radio or wherever you get your podcast. If you're just joining us, welcome. Uh, we are speaking with Danielle Maine, the president of Leash of Hope Assistance Dogs. All right. Let's get back into this for part two. So, um, yeah, I I would like to uh, to address. I, you know, I didn't know, and this is this is the art of of podcasting and radio. I didn't know that I would be talking about this tonight, but it's falls right into the conversation. So I've, I I I feel like I need to talk about it. So I would like you, if you want, to tell us your your full opinion about people who train their own dogs, and let's kind of dig into that. Sure, I think it's an important conversation to have because, and it can be a contentious one. So I apologize if this rubs people the wrong way, but coming from someone like you know, we put years into these dogs, we put years and years of work into these dogs, so it's really hard. Um, and not just that, we also put a lot of effort into ensuring the right kind of people are handling dogs in public because it makes a huge impact on the rest of our communities and our world. So 
uh, for me, when I think about people training their own dogs, um, it'd be kind of like someone waking up one day and going, I've decided I need a wheelchair and I'm going to build one from scratch from YouTube videos. <laughs> and I know that sounds very extreme, but unfortunately the reality is there's lots of people who do not seek professional uh, help uh, if they're owner training and, um, and don't always pick appropriate breeds and don't know how to assess. And it'd be just the same. It's like a lay person trying to build a car from scratch. So much work and specialized expertise goes into these dogs to make them safe and effective and also for professionals to take the time to ensure that this is an appropriate tool. It's just the same reason why we don't prescribe ourselves medication. Somebody else probably knows more about it than you do uh, to be able to determine whether that medication is appropriate for you or not. And the reality is, and again, I'm not saying this is the case for everybody, there's some people out there who probably aren't appropriate candidates to be walking around with their own dogs and it creates a massive risk for public, other handlers, even the dog. Because these dogs, you know, they get stepped on, they get bumped into, they get carts rolled over them. And knowing how to handle that and to, and to know when a dog's breaking point is, it's like there's so many factors to it that's not just as easy as, you know, deciding you need a dog and buying a vest off of eBay or something like that and then starting to work your dog in public. And it's heartbreaking from the standpoint of a professional uh, training school to have, um, you know, one of our dogs encounter a dog that shouldn't be in public. And, you know, we've even had our dogs attacked before and the dogs get washed. Two years of training down the toilet sometimes because someone else had their dog in a place where they shouldn't have. So to make a long story short, because I'm agreeing with everything you're saying, but I, I want to be a little bit firm with, with the listeners so that people learn from this episode so that maybe we can start to make some changes, make some changes that need to be made. So this will lead into my argument. So yes or no, do you, do you support that? That whole concept of, you know, I can train my own dog. I can buy a fake this, a fake that I can do it. Um, I feel like the, the short answer would be no. Um, our program will... Well, um... correct, correct, and <laughs> there, there you. So, so, th so, thank you for that. So, let me let me tell you a little bit more about my my frustration with with Nani working Nani, that in on my side of the border, wherever that might be. Um, in in my opinion, other other blind people around our country are doing a very similar thing, where somehow they have been given this notion that it is acceptable to take their pet dog by a fake harness and and force them to work as their as their guide dog um as as far as i was concerned when i was working working nani it it was it was offensive to my sensibility as a successful person it was offensive to other people around me and quite frankly it was highly unsafe for my dog and I did not appreciate it. And I'm incredibly frustrated that this problem uh, is, is perpetuating and getting worse and worse and worse. And I, I just want it to be in my heart and in my mind, I want it to be in, in my own country, wherever that might be. I wish that it was illegal. I wish that it was against federal law for someone to be using a fake service dog in a public place. 
I mean, I don't know, listener. You at home, go ahead, send in your nasty emails. Oh my God, Aaron, Aaron's opinion, you're going to hell, man. You're 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 deemed, you're 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 doomed. Go ahead, send in your nasty emails. But yeah, I'm a little I'm a little emotional about it because I feel that this is a serious issue that needs to be fixed. It's not safe. It's not appropriate. And by the way, it's really abusive to that pet dog who doesn't even know how to be a successful guide dog or whatever service dog. So I, I was always immensely angered by it, as as you can tell. I, I don't. So, but what do you think would need to happen uh, to, oh. to solve this problem? Well, and yeah. I think with, and with all like fairness to a lot of these people, I'm not saying there isn't a necessity. I think the half of the issue is there's not enough resources and our uh, regional, you know, or larger government bodies aren't um, doing things to support proper schools to open up and develop. They're not um, uh, putting proper resources into um, in, into figuring out, I guess, how to uh, educate the public on distinguishing between what dogs should be in public, what shouldn't. And I think that a lot of people are turning towards owner training because they there there is no one to help them. There is no school. There is no training program. There is no provider for what it is that they need specifically. So if our local governments um, uh, worked with professional trainer, trainers in their regions and figured out how can we create more services to help the people who legitimately need them, uh, need these dogs, but don't have access to them because of lack of services, and how can we educate the public and knowing to know when they need to... Um, uphold their obligation to remove a dog from a public place because it's going to put someone else at risk. So it's an education factor and it's a resources factor because if we up the resources for the people who actually need it, they might not be owner training um, or they would maybe through a program because there are some programs that go, yes, you can come to our program and bring your dog if your dog passes our assessments and that's fine. Um, but basically if we created channels to ensure that everyone who needed a dog could have access to one through proper channels and educated the public to kind of close the window of opportunity for dogs that shouldn't be there through education, that would make everything or world a lot better everywhere you go. Hmm. hmm. I, 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 I kind of, at, at first I was, I was respectfully disagreeing with how you were phrasing it, but I, I do see what you're saying to, to an extent. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say that after my guide dog was, and, and my guide dog was not attacked, for, for the record, she was not attacked and not hurt, but she was growled at and she could have been hurt. And it was, I, 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 I yes, yes, you're, yes, you're correct. And at the same time, my I, I guess my frustration about how much of a problem it has become in my own country, in you know, in my country, people are just not really willing to to work to work together yeah. about these. Yeah, and certain... it's huge. It's huge everywhere. And I think the key thing is though too is it's accountability. When people get their dogs from a school, that school is accountable for the way a dog behaves, and it also means that 
these these schools or if there was resources and and government bodies said no you have to have your dog from appropriate schools or trainers and here will help to make more resources that means that those schools training programs whatever it is also have the obligation to say no and people shouldn't have dogs in public right precisely precisely and i think the impression I, I do not know this to be true, but in my in my opinion, the blind many of the blind people or some of the blind people in the United States who, in my estimation, wrongfully use their pet dogs as guide dogs, um, perhaps many of them were denied by by a, a school, were denied by guiding eyes for the blind, maybe or seeing eye, or I mean, no. we have in in my country we have twelve, right? I mean, you you would know because you run a school, you would, you would, you would know better than I in the, in the United States, we have 12 schools, right? At least 12, right? All over the country. Yeah, at least. I and think. that's just of, of guide dog schools. And there are different exactly. types of schools. But the reality is these people, you know, these, these schools um, follow regulations to keep public safe. And for whatever reason, it's unfortunate. But if there's a reason why someone's getting declined, there's, there's probably good reason for it. And more often than not, it's going to be due to safety. There's going to be some reason to do with with uh, there being a safety concern, right? Precisely. That's that's exactly that's exactly my that's exactly my point. So I think that those it's it's a it's kind of a I, I kind of am taking it at at a more of a legal disciplinarian style of it because it mainly because other people's behavior was so offensive to me and my dog personally that now this has become personal. If I had never had a guide dog, I would probably be, probably be in a lot more agreement with your entire point, which half of it I agree with completely. The other half, uh, I'm not so sure. Um, I, I think that if you're denied a, a guide dog, in, in my opinion, you should not be allowed to have one. And I think that the law, there should be a federal law that says, no, it, 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 the, 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 this is the standard for having a guide dog in our country. If, you, if you're able to meet it, great. If you can't, you are not allowed to, to do so and there needs to be again as you said accountability there needs to be some right. and don't get me wrong i'm not right, saying right. everyone should have a dog that wasn't no no point. no no my point yeah was to eliminate the need for people to try to train by themselves so that there was someone accountable professionals going yes we will provide you a dog and yes we will be accountable for the way your dog behaves in public or no you shouldn't have a dog right exactly okay but then in in my country people misbehave though oftentimes when they're people denied misbehave everywhere it's a problem here too i have right. someone who lives two blocks behind me that um is it uses a mobility device and has a very aggressive golden retriever and she has put a cape on it that matches one of the organizations that's here the same kind of color and shape and for really has gone on transit with no issues she's been reported to the authorities several times she attacked my dog by the face because I couldn't go anywhere because I was standing in an elevator door. Unbelievable. And yet she's still on transit with no issues. And, and yet that, that just, that just, that really offend. that's offensive to me and I'm not Canadian. Okay. An yeah, American. Well, well, it's a, it's a human right. I would need to know that I have the right that I can go about my business and coming out of an elevator without being cornered by a dog that shouldn't be there. And, right? and, and does this, and does this neighbor, and does this, and does this neighbor, I'm sure this neighbor knows that you're the president of a, of a, Cool, right? <laughs> yep, yeah, they do. And they've encountered other dogs. They've been stopped by the police and they continue to do it anyway. And so who's really accountable here if there's no actual recourse? Like nothing's, you know, I think at most they've gotten a slap on the wrist at this point, but obviously it's not doing anything. And that doesn't change that that could have been the end of my dog's career. Now, thankfully, <sighs> 
a really good dog um, and recovered from that better than I did. Like I was like really shaken and worried about going through elevator doors, especially knowing that this person is in my neighborhood going through my transit area. Um, and it's just, it's appalling to me that there's no one being accountable for stuff like this. Well, I don't, I do not comment on laws in other countries because it's not my business. Uh, but I, in my opinion, in the United States, I think that we do need to have laws, if federal, uh, you know, federal coding that, that for, forbids you, number one, forbids people uh, for, from doing that. By, by the way, everything I'm saying is, is my opinion. It's not facts. These are opinions. And if you do not like it, listener, you you do not you do not need to agree with me. Uh, this is completely my my opinions. I think there should be laws that say that it's number one. You aren't allowed to do this in in my country, and if you are allowed, there needs to there needs to be consequences though. Um, and I think the truth of it is is that our country is spending the resources and money doing other things. We're spending. I mean, this gets us off topic, but we're spending our resources on you know health issues people with, you know, other serious problems like drug, drug, you know, substance abuse things. Um, whereas I, 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 I don't know, but my, my message is please stop training your own dog. It's just not a good idea. All well, right. I think not even needing to get into like the costs and pol politics, mm -hmm. uh, you know, information is free, education is free. So the more we educate our publics and our community around us to know when they need to uh, speak up, you know, say something, especially as a, as a business owner or a manager of a public place, knowing when you have the obligation to, um, to say no to the presence of a dog that's obviously not acting appropriate and that is you know you don't need to be a dog trainer or dog professional to see if a dog is behaving um out of place or flailing around or eating things and getting its face into things that that shouldn't be there and so the more we as a community educate and speak up and have less tolerance for it you know that doesn't cost anything we don't have to get yeah. politics. like that's just us looking out for our communities right yeah. oh absolutely absolutely Absolutely. But still, there should be some there should be some consequence because the problem in, in the States has gotten gotten to the point where people have have literally had to go to court and had 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 legal issues. You know, I mean, we, we shouldn't have to have legal issues over something as simple as, as knowing how to treat animals. I mean, that should be something that people should know how to do. But then again, apparently, if you have if you're the president of a school and the your neighbor is willing to have your dog attacked, then I I don't know. I don't know when the when these types of strange things end. That, that's highly strange. That, yeah, that's... and I could get into all the other stuff, you know, uh, with our politics here. And I know our government has, and lots of governments are trying to enforce um, situations where there's schools or dogs that that are only trained uh, from Assistant Dog International or um, or IGF schools, you know, which is the, the Guide Dog Federation, and which is great, but at the same time, there needs to be a bit more than that. It needs to be also the government's um, creating opportunity for new schools, because us, that's our biggest problem. As a newer program, because of the hoops we have to jump through and the way that our local government has changed in the last couple of years, we've kind of been pigeonholed, and as have a lot of other professionals that had programs going that now don't. Um, 
and that doesn't help the population either to uh to create uh yeah i guess a a closed monopoly where other professionals cannot um build up enough to go for things like adi or igdf and and that's a that's a whole other story as well but um, yeah sure sure outstanding great great okay so i mean i i i have to be nosy so this neighbor um let's say uh let's say her name is uh, uh sarah or 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 maggie or something or mary have you ever you know called her and say hey mary um this isn't okay you know have you have you addressed it with with her have you tried to explain and educate her why it's not okay um, funny enough, this person did actually approach our program at one point and basically just said that they wanted one of our vests and we said no. And so they do kind of avoid us, uh, myself and, and anyone who's coming in my direction, because she's not a direct neighbor. I think she's a couple blocks over. So we end up encountering most, you know, around transit, uh, around the, uh, the train line here. And um, so they very much know what they're doing. And... <laughs> Uh, she goes the other direction when she sees us coming because she knows that we will pick up the phone and, and uh, uh, make sure that we're safe, whether that's because someone's taking a video of what she's doing because they're worried about their dog or they're calling transit police. And when people do what they know that they're not supposed to be doing, like, there's not much you can do at that point. Like, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry for that. It's very frustrating. Um... Yeah, luckily I live in a very small town now where I do not need to uh, deal with those types of problems. But yeah, if it was me, I would have certainly taken the, I certainly would have written, you know, letters to, you know, the, the jurisdiction, the authorities for, for, for sure, hand delivered and everything. Yeah. <laughs> no, they, so, no. I mean, that's that's how. No, that's that's the appropriate way of doing it in the states. If you have, if you have that, yes, go, ahead, yes. Yeah, and same thing here. And I think for us, you know, us being a smaller program, the bigger we get, the more of a voice we're going to get, and we hope that we can continue to kind of change and push for things. Um, and because education is a big issue here as well. And so in our mind, every year that goes by, we're just kind of plugging forward. There's, uh, we keep having some pretty amazing things happening and the way that I see it even though things aren't great now the bigger we get and the better we get and the more we continue to produce really good dogs um is just going to help our cause and make our voice louder with issues like this without doubt without doubt very good well that's so good and um let me let's take a look here so um you do so listener I came in contact or I you know reached out uh, to Danielle through our group where many of us blind people know each other. And um, on a much lighter and equally interesting note, why don't you talk within the remaining nine minutes um, in regards to the mentoring that you do and how you became a mentor and why you, why you do mentoring in our group and, and things like that and what, what you can tell us about that. It's pretty cool. Yes, absolutely. So I, as I said in the beginning, firmly believe in uh, entrepreneurism with people with disabilities, especially blindness, and kind of exceeding the box of expectations that our society thinks that we can fulfill. And so I, everything with Leisure Pope, I built from the ground up. I've also been consulted and mentored the start of a couple of other 
uh, smaller businesses. Um, last year, I also what, uh, was awarded with the L'Oreal Paris Women of Worth Award for the work that I do with Leisha Hope. So I have a lot to offer as far as a mentor. And, um, and with that idea that, that we as people with disabilities should not be discounted and can do great things with whatever we're passionate about and whatever we put our minds to. And sometimes that means having a level of or awareness of logistics and working out those little pieces and knowing how to build those pieces and, and where to where to take the next steps and things. And sometimes um, that can be a little bit tricky if you don't know where to start. So that's where I can kind of come in sometimes. Um, and sometimes as a mentor, I'm also even just saying to people like, yes, this is very achievable. And it seems really silly, but sometimes people need to hear that, that what they're doing is very achievable. God knows I never uh, expected five years later to be um, you know, running Leash of Hope to the size that it is. We have 30 plus dogs to have won that award. This year I was uh, featured on a uh, on a wellness TV show um, that's uh, here in Canada on uh, Accessible Media Inc. called Mindset Go, working with a Paralympian uh, just to keep my, I guess, uh, <laughs> with my stance of um, supporting, I guess, wellness and health in the disability world. And just because you have a disability doesn't mean you can't be healthy and active and and so it represented everything I stood for. And even though it was incredibly hard to be so vulnerable on a TV show with a full hour of just watching myself or listening to myself, which was very strange, um, it's, it, it's doable. Your dreams are doable. And just because you have a disability does not mean it needs to get in your way. Sounds great. Perfect. Yeah. And um yeah, I, 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 I have found the same, you know, the same is true, you know, podcasting. Do you, do you have a podcast yourself? <laughs> it's on my list. It hasn't happened yet. Oh, please, please make, please make it happen. Uh, please make it happen. I would love to. I need to clone myself first, maybe a few more times. <laughs> um, just you've done, I... you've done a, you've done a magnificent episode. I've absolutely loved recording this episode with you. Actually, I thought you were a little nervous um, before you came on, um, but you you really you really did a great job. I think that you should certainly uh, get in get into podcasting. I I got into it. Let me so a little bit more about me. I um, I'm a teacher, as many of you at home know. I'm a teacher, and that's my that's my job. I work online teaching English as a second language. I've been doing that for about five years. And then, you know, about last August or September, I was, you know, scrolling through the podcasts and there was like one or two podcasts about blindness issues and blind people that I really enjoyed, but I felt that it just wasn't approachable. It just wasn't, just wasn't doing it for me. So then I thought, well, since I have so many complaints about podcasts, why don't I create my own thing? And then I just sort of dove right into it. Um, it wasn't until very recently, and it certainly was not until a couple of days ago that I made it all the way to radio. Um, I started out by doing basically monologues. So that's where you start with podcasts and you do monologues where you have to stand listening to the sound of your own voice and talking about issues that are meaningful to you. And I built that up and up and up and up. And then eventually... I was able to get some some guests and then the guests built up and then the interest built up and then I switched to a platform. And then then the turning point, I guess, for this is when I made it all the way onto Apple Podcasts. And that was 
that was a shock that I, I was Apple podcast material apparently. So once that all happened, then I thought, well, you know, this, this might really help one person. And if Aaron's opinion helps one person, if it helps even one person in Vancouver know about your organization, that makes it worthwhile. By the way, so what if some, what if you're at home and you want to get in touch uh, with Leash of Hope? Uh, how would they go about doing oh, that? Give yourself absolutely. some plugs. Go. Okay. So, and first of all, at the beginning, um, I wasn't nervous. I love talking to people. I had a oh, great up the curtains, so I was a little distracted. The curtain, <laughs> but but we just need audio. You don't you don't need curtains. I no, 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 because I'm, I'm at home and I have a young, oh. a young kitten and he was trying to climb the curtain. Ah, oh. Um, oh. So that's why I was like, oh no, oh no, please don't go up there. Very <laughs> good, very good. Three, that three was, and a half, was, three and a half minutes, three and a half minutes. Okay, very so good. that was where my nerves were coming from. All right. But, um, if you want to reach me, you can, of course, social media is a big one, whether it's through uh, looking at Leash of Hope Assistance Dogs on Instagram or Facebook on Facebook on Mondays, I actually do um, lives and, you know, as you said, do a bit of a monologue and just kind of chat um, into the, into the abyss <laughs> with myself. Um, and for any of our listeners or uh, audience there, we also have a website, which is leashofhopeassistancedogs.com. You can find us through there. Uh, and I'm sure Erin, you can probably put a link to that if, uh, um, for any of your listeners if they're interested and um we at this point are not just in vancouver bc we have have been spreading throughout vancouver and even into um the u.s into washington so oh excellent so you are so you do have a branch in washington state well we've right. we've been uh, uh people come work with us and then they end up going home into various different places and sometimes our trainers end up flying and working with people in in different areas so oh okay so then okay so i mean fair so we're starting to wrap it up but so basically w would your trainers come like all over the world then and help people i mean that's kind of an impressive thing that's kind of a significant thing yeah if we have the funds we will we are a, a non-profit and so that being said we're constantly looking for um, you know, sponsorship and corporate sponsorship to support our cause and what we're doing so we can continue to afford to help people as, as inexpensively um, as possible. And at the moment, all of our dogs, um, people who receive our dogs do fundraise to have the, the costs covered. And unfortunately, the farther away you are, the more expense you have with travel to fundraise. So, but uh, if, uh, you know, we're always, I like traveling. I'll come travel if you want one of our dogs. <laughs> I see. I see. Well, that. Really, all of that is really, all of that is really fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. So listener, I mean, if you want, if you want any of the links uh, that Danielle just said, just send, send your email, by the way, which nobody does. I'm hoping that eventually you would. Aaron's opinion six at gmail.com. If you really want the links, um, I can I can get those for you, but that sounds um, all sounds really, 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 uh, really amazing and really interesting. Yeah, when I was at uh, anyone from other countries at guiding, yeah, the guiding eyes had people from other countries before. They've they've been reaching out, I think, all over all over the world. So I I think that's really important for people to have professionally trained service dogs in in a lot of different countries for sure.
Mm -hmm. Well, I've so enjoyed being here and I'm happy to, uh, if you ever need to talk more dogs, you know where to find me and anyone who's uh, looking for that, uh, I guess, uh, mentorship or wants to know more about the, the entrepreneurial side of being a person with a disability, um, running their own business, you can always reach out for that too. And I've absolutely uh, loved being here today. Well, that was really, really good. Yes, you're always welcome on Aaron's Opinion, the podcast for blind people where we talked about issues in the blindness community. Thank you, everybody at Caroline Radio, and have a good day today and a great day tomorrow. Duncan's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Duncan. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. Rule the day the plant-based way with the new vegan mixed berry from Smoothie King. Powered by whole, non-GMO fruits, oat milk, and vegan protein, it's a dairy-free, plant-based smoothie you can feel great about. With 13 grams of protein and half your daily fiber, it's an easy way to get the essential nutrients your body craves. Skip the line and order online for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King. Rule the day.